and welcome to another episode of Boundless Body Radio. I'm your host, Casey Ruff, and today we have another amazing guest to introduce to you now. Trisha Nelson is an internationally acclaimed author, transformational speaker, and emotional eating expert. Trisha attended Amherst College and began her career working at the Seattle Art Museum. While in Seattle, she began working with a spiritual healer who helped her create a lifestyle of positive self-care, self-love, and improved self-esteem. She lost 50 pounds by identifying and healing the underlying causes of her emotional eating. She has spent over 30 years researching the hidden causes of the addicted personality. Trisha is the author of the number one best-selling book, Heal Your Hunger, Seven Simple Steps to End Emotional Eating Now. She also certifies health coaches so they can get better results, referrals, and revenue by helping their clients overcome emotional eating. Trisha is the host of the popular podcast, The Heal Your Hunger Show, and has been featured on NBC, CBS, KTLA, Fox, and Discovery Health. Trisha Nelson, what an honor it is to welcome you to Boundless Body Radio. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Absolutely. I have unfortunate news for you. You are starting this podcast with a little bit of a deficit in clout. Um, I have heard you say on podcasts that you are in your 50s, and that is a that is totally a lie. You are not in your fifties. We just had video on and I saw you and I've seen you before. And that is absolutely a lie. You're 30. Maybe. <laughs> Thank you. Way to boost your guest's ego right out of the gate. We just, we just can't establish any kind of trust until you be straight up honest with us. Okay. <laughs> well, you look amazing. And we so appreciate you coming on our show today to talk about what I think is, um, Boy, I think we know like the tip of this iceberg that is emotional eating. And I think especially since the pandemic, it has become more and more apparent just how big of a story this is. Um, but before we kind of get into that, let's hear your story. Can you tell us a little bit about the things that you suffered through and discovered about yourself along the way? Um, sure. Yeah, I was a, an emotional eater from the get-go. I mean, as far back as I can remember, I remember just loving food. I love to eat. I love to cook. I love to serve food to other people, go out to dinner. It was just a big highlight for me. And, you know, that wouldn't have been a problem uh, except for the fact that I gained weight easily. So by age 20, I was 50 pounds overweight and super frustrated because I'd already been on several diets and exercise programs. And I could lose weight, but I always put it back on. So like I was a yo-yoer. So I'd like lose 30, gain 20, lose 10. And I had like five different sizes of pants in my closet because I never knew what size I'd be. So that's how it went for years. And I was incredibly frustrated and felt really hopeless, to be honest. And I was a binge eater also. So I was really, you know, it, it, my self-esteem took a big hit. Um, so what happened, long story short, is I did meet somebody who helped me go deeper and deal with the underlying causes of why I was driven to eat. And that made all the difference, you know, between that and creating self-care habits that helped me just be more emotionally balanced. Um, I was able to lose the weight and keep it off. And it's been several decades now. So I'm really grateful and, and, and basically heal your hunger and my podcast, you know, of five years, all that came about really based on my own journey, but also I've been working with other emotional eaters for decades as well. And so that informed my my research and I developed a process, really a step-by-step -step process to help people heal from emotional eating. And it's just, you know, I, I wake up happy and excited to do what I do and watch people's lives transform. 
Mm, that's really interesting and quite the story. It's amazing that you came out the other side and were eager to share your story. When I started taking nutrition clients, um, I realized really quickly why there was a box of Kleenexes in the office because <laughs> it was used right. all the time. Why is eating so emotional for most of us? Yeah, well, here's the thing. Um, eating is emotional and not eating is emotional, you know, so um, we definitely are drawn to emotional eating. You know, I think we're all emotional eaters to some degree. And I and and people who are doing it a whole lot more, they're doing it to stuff their emotions. Um, you know, I was uncomfortable with being uncomfortable. And so when I had feelings I didn't like, I just grabbed food and it wasn't a conscious thing like, Oh, I'm going to stuff my emotions. Now it was just a subconscious unconscious habit, you know, to always be looking for something carby and snacky and, you know, nuts and chips. And, you know, I loved ooey gooey chewy foods. So cookies and candies and ice cream. So, um, these foods, numbed me out. Okay. They numbed my emotions. And that's really what an emotional eating is, is numbing yourself with food. Um, so you don't feel, and it works temporarily, you know, until your stomach gets empty and then you're like, uh Oh, got to start over again. So, um, that's really what hap what happens for people, um, when they emotionally eat. And it is a, it's a very typical thing to do. Um, and I will say also when you stop eating, which is maybe why you saw a lot of tears also when you like you go on a healthy eating plan you know at first it's like woohoo we're doing it looking good feeling good but after a couple of weeks it gets hard you know and it's like what is that about and what happens is the feelings that we have buried for so long come bubbling to the surface this is why i was a yo-yo dieter because i'd feel good losing weight for a time, but then the emotions that had been packed down with food started coming to the surface and I didn't have tools for dealing with them. And on account of that, I was like, wait, give me my comfort back, you know, and I'd go back to the sugar and the carbs. Mm, wow. So is that the difference? I was going to ask you that. Is that the difference between being an emotional eater and just having like emotions when you eat? Like if I had, you know, a hard day at work and, you know, I'm, I'm a little stressed out, but I just have maybe like a normal meal. That's very different than what you're describing, which is you're eating to, you know, bury those emotions so you don't feel them. Is that right? Yeah. Um, you know, I consider it to be a spectrum. Like I think we're all emotional eaters. We can all go overboard. Um, but this spectrum is informed by two things. One is, uh, the level of control that you have. And the other is the consequences. So let's say someone goes on a cruise and they lose, you know, they, they eat and drink through the cruise. It's all free food. Why not? You know, and they gain five pounds. Well, that's not a huge consequence, you know, and, um, and when you feel kind of like, oh my gosh, my jeans are tight, you know, someone will cut back on their, you know, they won't eat sweets for two weeks and they'll jog extra, like five miles extra each week and boom, the five pounds are off. Okay. That's someone with quite a bit of control and not too, too much, you know, too many consequences. They're on the low end of the emotional eating spectrum. So, uh, but if somebody, you know, eats a lot, like they're a binge eater and they go on these binges that sort of, Get, grab a hold of them. And for two weeks, they're in this terrible cycle of eating sugar and carbs and feeling bad and overeating and not wanting to work out on account of it, you know, and they're not only gaining weight, but they're getting depressed. You know, they don't want to have sex. It's like, it affects a lot of your mood and the way you interact in the world. That's a lot more consequences you know, than the person who went on the cruise. 
And that's somebody who doesn't have a whole lot of control either, because once they start to eat, they keep, they keep going, they can't pull back, they can't course correct. And so that's somebody on the higher end of the spectrum. And that's more in the food addiction arena. That's where I was, you know, I would go on big binges, you know, um, sit in front of the TV and just overeat until I felt stuffed, you know, and then I didn't want to go out with my girlfriends the next day because I was bloated or I didn't want to have my video on on Zoom, you know, and and so that's, this is before, and this is before Zoom, but of course, but, but the point is that happens to people who are more in the food addiction arena, you know, it's, it's, they've lost control and they're, they're having mounting consequences. Mm. Yeah, you mentioned addiction. I think this is really important, specifically food addiction. You've also mentioned sugar and carbs. And I'm, I'm curious to know why I don't see many people, you know, freebasing kale smoothies on, on the corner. <laughs> you know, it's, it's really hard to get addicted to a ribeye steak or, you know, whatever broccoli. But I think most of us know it's pretty easy to get hooked on, on sugar specifically. What is it doing in our brains that makes it so hard to leave behind? Yeah. So sugar is highly addictive. I am a total sugar addict. I, I still know that I have the propensity to go overboard on sugar and I had to cut it out of my diet in order to have any success in losing weight and keeping it off. Cause sugar was the thing I sabotaged with. I'm like, Oh, I can just have one, you know, I can just eat one. And, and of course I couldn't. So one cookie never satisfied, satisfied me. I'd end up eating the whole bag, you know, or handfuls of chips and, or the whole bag of chips or the whole pint of ice cream. So, you know, sugars, what people don't realize is sugar is physically addictive and there's sugar hidden in so many of our foods, even in foods where it shouldn't be like tomato sauce and salad dressing and cereal and all kinds of places and, and, and healthy foods. Like you go to whole foods, you better be careful. You know, you can't just assume those foods are super healthy because they put sugar in soups dressings, you know, everything. And again, to get you hooked, it's not just the big, bad, you know, Coca-Cola company. It's like, it's, it's natural food companies as well. It's just, you don't have to have sugar in all these things, but as a nation, we're really hooked. And so, um, if you're eating foods that have hidden sugars, you're, you're unconsciously sabotaging yourself because it'll, uh, it'll create cravings and make it super hard to say no to foods that are definitely not on your food plan. If you're trying to lose weight and keep it off. So, um, it's, it's really important. And I do, um, like we were talking about earlier, I have, um, a, a something called the quit sugar challenge that I do quarterly. And this is just to help people get it out of their foods. I teach where the foods are like all the over 80 names for sugar, where the sugar's hiding in your foods, how to avoid those foods, how to have sweet, yummy foods in spite of being sugar-free because there's really great alternatives now like stevia and monk fruit. Um, thank goodness. I, I always say stevia is God's gift to emotional eaters. <laughs> you know, I don't use a lot of it, but it's definitely comes in handy. So I can have a natural soda with seltzer water and some stevia from flavored stevia. So, so, uh, I bring people through a five day process of quitting sugar just to make it so much easier. And it's really fun when you do it in community with other people, because, uh, then, you know, uh, basically you, you get cheered on, you realize you're not the only one who's been addicted and it just makes it so much easier. So that's my quit sugar challenge. And, um, I'll just mention if somebody wants to get on the wait list for that, it's quitsugarchallenge.com, And we'll notify you when our next one's coming up. 
Yeah, that's great. I mean, that program sounds super helpful and you were able to make it very affordable, I would say. Like it's not yeah, yeah. expensive at all and can yeah. be really helpful. And you mentioned something that I, I totally agree with. The, the number of ways that a food company can say sugars in this spreads it out all across the ingredients. I can't remember what the number is up to now, but it's at least like 60 or 80 different names that all yeah. are basically sugar that the food companies can, again, spread out through the ingredients list so you don't necessarily see it or you don't see it at the top of the list. It's ridiculous. It's totally ridiculous. It's sad, actually. Huh. Well, and the food companies are more than willing to, you know, create food that is maximally sweet and fatty and salty that, that you just can't have one. It's like the Dorito effect, you know, like good luck having one handful of that. You're going to continue eating that far, far longer than you want to. Yes, no question about it. And also regarding the difference between an emotional eater and a, and a food addict, I had mentioned it's a spectrum. And I just wanted to circle back and say, if somebody wants to find out where they are on that spectrum, I have a free quiz on my website, um, which is healyourhunger.com. And you can literally take a two minute quiz and find out where you are in that spectrum and then know what steps to take. So I think we all know, you know, we've been talking a lot about um, overeating as related to emotional eating, but I think, you know, we can also use undereating, anorexia, bulimia, or some degree of undereating as also a way to not feel more difficult feelings. Is that true? 100%. Yeah, you nailed it. You know, my experience is emotional eating is a really to me, a very useful term because it covers all different kinds of disordered eating. Because, you know, if you think about it, if somebody is, has extreme control around food, like they're super restrictive, super careful about what they eat, or they, you know, nibble on a Lara bar throughout the day, one Lara bar, you know, uh, my experience is if it, if we weren't out of control, we wouldn't need to control ourselves. You know, and so uh, oftentimes people who are in extreme restriction and control, they're emotional eaters too, you know, and they're emotionally under eating, emotionally strict, restricting, you know, and it can, you know, starving yourself can absolutely put you in a, in a different frame of mind where you don't feel a lot of feelings except hunger, you know, and that can be an escape as well. So yeah, you really nailed it. It's um, to me, emotional eating covers the whole spectrum of overeating, under eating, binging, purging, you know, uh, orthorexia, being obsessed with food and nutrients, you know, and, um, calories and all that, um, uh, exercising, you know, bulimia, bulimorexia, exercising to get rid of calories eaten. I mean, there's so many different ways to be messed up around food, you know, disordered around food. I've done many of them. Um, but at the end of the day, to me, it's, it, it does, um, you know, to be simplistic about it, it does fall under the category of emotional eating because we're using these these um, ways of eating to numb ourselves. Mm. Well, I'm so glad you mentioned orthorexia. This is a term that I only heard for the first time maybe five or six years ago. It's relatively new, but I think a lot of people can relate to it. Can you go a little bit deeper into what orthorexia is? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know... <sighs> If you, if you go into a community of vegans or, 
Um, and I don't mean, I don't mean to single out vegans, but you know, vegetarianism, veganism, um, you know, it, it, somebody who's just really into nutrition or any kind of fad diet, keto, paleo, you know, whatever, um, intermittent fasting, you're going to find people, not everybody, but you're going to find people who are obsessed you know, and they are like really careful and strict around what they're eating, strict and following a particular diet. And it, they're emotional eaters. They're just trying to grab a hold of something that's giving them a sense of control because like I said, they're probably in their heart of hearts out of feeling out of control, you know? And so to me, I mean, what I do for my clients is I help them get off the diet track and get out of the obsession period because to be, you know, to give up one obsession and to adopt another is not freedom. You know, you're still not free. And the obsession, I mean, foodies, you know, can sometimes fall into this as well. People are watching all the, the you know, the, the foodie shows or whatever. It's just any kind of obsession, my experience is really a way to numb out, you know, and escape our un uncomfortable feelings. And, um, you know, ultimately it doesn't work because we still have the feelings. They're, they're just buried. They're still going to come and haunt us, you know, and, um, and we haven't really healed anything. Mm, that is a little tricky. We tend more towards low carbohydrate diets and we work more with, you know, ketogenic type diets, carnivore type diets. Um, when we, what we try to say is like, look, we're like, we're like somebody who works at the Ford store. Like if you want a Chevy, you should probably go to the Chevy store and talk to them as a Ford guy or whatever. Like I wouldn't make a lot of friends by yelling at everybody about how terrible Chevy is. You just would come to me because I can help you with that. But it is interesting that like those kinds of things can flip and you, it, it is a little bit tricky. I, I had an experience where I was doing one meal a day and doing, you know, kind of 24 hour fasting pretty much every day. And that ended up crashing my metabolism. Something that was initially really good started making my hands and feet really cold and started, you know, making me have weird sodium issues and, and water retention issues. And so it is interesting that you can take something that initially seems really good and gets you really good results, but push it too far until it's not really helping you anymore. Well, there's no question, you know, and it's not a bad thing to be conscious. I mean, you have to be conscious of what you're eating and, and the quality of the foods you're eating and, and find a plan that works for you. So there's nothing wrong with that. That's important, you know, knowing what your triggers are and finding a plan that doesn't include them. Um, but yeah, the, it's, it's when we flip into obsession and it, it's true. We can do it with anything, frankly. <laughs> yeah, totally. Totally. Well, we had a dietitian work for us, uh, maybe like 10 years ago. And I remember her philosophy as she kind of got up in front of all the, all the personal trainers. And she had this quote that was all about intuitive eating. And it was like, your body knows exactly what it needs and you need to listen to your body. And sometimes you eat a little too much and sometimes you eat not enough. And it was, it was really kind of vague. And I, I, really appreciated the the quote and and I didn't disagree with it but I've also seen people intuitively eat themselves to like 400 pounds so how do we how do we like eat intuitively without you know making ourselves unhealthy well I love that you said that cuz I've fallen in that trap myself you know intuitive I would intuit that I should eat way more than I should have <laughs> you know <laughs> and that's when somebody's an emotional eater on the higher end of that spectrum that you know from the quiz you know, my experience is our signals are off, you know, like we've been in such a habit 
of, um, of numbing with food, you know, and, and reaching for food. It's just so habitual that we can't trust our signals, you know? And so, yeah, we're like, no, I'm really hungry. And I'm telling you, I have that same, I have that conversation with my head, you know, in my head sometimes where and I've been in this, I've been doing this for 30 years, but, but I'll be like, oh, I'm so hungry. And then I'll have to stop me like, really Trish, like, are you? And here's one of the things that helps me is I recommend something called three meal, it's called three meal magic, which is eating three meals with nothing in between. And, and you can still do a little intermittent fasting by putting 12, 13 hours between your breakfast and your, um, between your dinner in your breakfast. But the nice thing about eating three, you know, meals that are sort of met, you know, four or five hours in between each meal is that, you know, you, you start to be able to trust your body. I mean, it's, it's, it's a, it is a structure, um, but it's one that helps you start to regulate your eating in a way that you haven't for many years, you know, uh, emotional eaters tend to be snackers, bingers, you know, erratic eaters, you know, and, and so we don't know how to eat. Whereas if you just do the three meal structure, um, healthy meals, healthy fats, healthy, healthy vegetables, you know, proteins, then you can start to be able to know when you're physically hungry versus emotionally hungry. So if I'm trying to convince myself I should go to the refrigerator, you know, and it's 10 o'clock in the morning, I'm like, mm, what's going on? You know, and so I'm like, because I had a healthy breakfast. So chances are I'm not starving. And so I can say what's what's really going on and have this conversation and start to really, you know, do a little sleuthing work. Oh, you're nervous about this upcoming presentation. Oh, it's making you feel hungry or, oh, you have a phone call you don't want to make. You know, so there's there's a conversation we need to start having with ourselves in order to know you know, the difference between the emotional hunger and the physical hunger. But I find that when I'm on a regular plan of eating, you know, I can, it helps me build that trust and helps me be able to discern because I'm not all over the place with, you know, my food consumption. Mm. Wow. That sounds like a really good strategy, especially, you know, given after the pandemic, <laughs> one of my favorite Facebook quotes that or, or posts that somebody made like a month into the pandemic was this girl made a sign to herself that said, Hey, you are not hungry go away. <laughs> and she stuck it on her fridge <laughs> to remind her not to raid the fridge all the time. Um, that's really interesting to go five, six hours between meals. I'm wondering if doing that helps teach people what foods they should be eating to keep them more satisfied in that gap. Because I've always contested that like, you know, the soda shop down the store, down the road is always busiest at like 3 p.m. and 8 p.m. on Google. You can look this up. And it's like, why are people you know, hungry for sugar two or three hours, supposedly after a common mealtime. And I, I just wonder if, if making somebody go five or six hours, does that make them self-select different foods so they stay a little bit more full in between meals? Well, I think that's really important, you know, to make sure you're getting the the right, you know, mix of foods that can help you feel satisfied. But I mean, there's no guarantee you're not going to have some hunger pangs, you know, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. You know, my experience as emotional eaters, we tend to be afraid of hunger and be like, oh my God, I'm dying, you know? And so um, let me do something about the hunger. You know, when we feel a little bit hungry, hungry when our stomachs aren't full, what we're feeling are emotions or we have the opportunity to feel emotions and you can't heal what you don't feel you know, and so getting acquainted with our emotions in between our meals. And that's really why, mostly why I recommend three meal magic is because, 
you have to have some space to begin to know what your emotions are. Otherwise you're in reaction mode all the time. And so I find that to be really helpful as I, and I teach people ways to get in touch with themselves, like meditation, expressive writing, you know, things that can help you get more emotionally connected. You know, my experiences were all so damn busy, you know, running from one thing to the next, over scheduling. Um, and there's a high that comes from that busyness, that adrenaline rush. And overeaters tend to be overdoers, so we especially like it. Not only that, we like the the uh, validation we get from pleasing people and overworking and and being superstars, you know. And so that it gives us a sense of ourselves when we do that, which is something we often lack. So it, there's a lot more to unravel in this, you know, to unpack and recognize that that busyness, you know, is keeping that busyness, that snacking, that eating all day, grazing, that's keeping us from feeling. So a little bit of hunger is not a bad thing. It's something to adjust to and to help, uh, helps us to begin to understand what's really going on inside versus just unconsciously, you know, keeping ourselves, filled up all the time. Mm. Wow. Well, I am definitely stealing that line. You can't heal what you can't feel. That is very well explained. I I think what I noticed the most with myself and and my clients is that, you know, the feelings, the initial feelings of like hanger, you know, you're so hungry that it's really just kind of dominating your life. Um, It kind of subsides over time. And, and I do think it has to do with feeling it and being, you know, okay with being hungry sometimes, just like it's okay to be cold. And I'll still the experience from one of our former guests, Aranda in the UK, where, and, and the way he said it is hunger in the past was like a bully. Like it would, it would stop him, whatever he was doing and make him pay attention to the hunger. And as he kind of reframed his, you know, life around food and changed his diet a little bit and changed his lifestyle, the, the hunger became more of a friend that would come by every now and again, would tap him on the shoulder and just be like, Hey, like, is it time to eat? No, look, looks like you're busy. Well, I'll just come back in a few hours. And I thought that was a pretty fair way to explain how hunger can transform when we do give it the space to, to feel it and just know it's, it's like being cold. It's like being angry. It's just an emotion. There's something you're feeling temporarily. Yeah, no, it helps to, to kind of acclimate to that. Um, I mean, I'm still an emotional eater at the end of the day. I mean, I I'm free from emotional eating, but I'm still, I still got it in me to, to do that. And so that's why I recommend, you know, four or five hours between meals. Cause if I go like seven hours, you know, like I remember I was at a restaurant, um, a couple weeks ago with my boyfriend and I, it was take, it was New Year's Eve actually. And it was taking forever. Like because it was New Year's Eve, we had a hard time finding a restaurant that we could, that could seat us, you know, within the hour. And so we were waiting longer. And then when we were seated, it took a long time to get our food. And I finally said to him, I said, will you give me your leg? Cause I'm hungry and I need to start eating now, (laughs) (laughs) you know, so I still need to eat on a regular schedule. Otherwise I do get a little crazy. So, um, so, but the, but the four or five, uh, window, hour window that to me, that's, 
that's good. And that doesn't set off those, those crazy feelings. Mm. We have not addressed cannibalism yet in this podcast. And I just want (laughs) to say we are, we are cannibal positive. If that's the lifestyle you choose, we accept you. (laughs) That's, that's totally fine. If you want to go the way of the daughter party. (laughs) Yeah. Never admitted that on a radio show. (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) Um, Recently on a podcast episode that you did, you had two gentlemen on your show and they were talking about some of the issues that they had around food. And, and, I'm wondering if if you believe this is a, an issue more for women, or is this pretty equal among the genders, men and women? Oh my goodness! Well, being a woman, I can speak for women, but I I will say, just statistically speaking, most of the people who come to me are women. Um, but I have a lot of men who read my book and get amazing help from my book. Um, uh, I mean, I mean, there's, there's no shortage of, uh, you know, an obesity epidemic among men as well as women. So it's definitely a problem. Um, maybe men don't identify the emotional part of their eating as much, not, you know, just stereotypically not being in touch with their emotions, maybe as much as women are not being as emotional as women and perhaps not recognizing their need for connection and community either. But yeah, I, there's jillions of emotional eaters, um, among the male population. There's no question about it. Interesting. So once we identify that this is an issue for us, we're starting to feel those feelings. What are our first steps? Like what, what things can we start to do to kind of correct this and get on the other side of it? Yeah, well, I would definitely recommend us having a morning routine. You know, so much of our eating is stress related. And as I said, we tend to be overdoers. So, you know, we got to look at our stress. Like you can't just change your eating and not change your lifestyle. It's just impossible to to have success. You know, so much of our eating is stress eating. So you got to address your stress, you know, start the day with some kind of morning routine, yoga, meditation, prayer, spiritual readings, you know, a few things that can help you feel grounded and calm and can build, I could up, I call it putting money in your spiritual bank account. Okay. So putting money in your spiritual bank account, um, that you can make withdrawals from, uh, later in the day, because late in the day is usually when people have the most trouble late in the day into the evening, you know, but that makes sense because we've added a whole lot of stress to our day. You know, we've had a lot of people asking things of us. We're out of energy, Um, you know, it's, it's things have piled up and late in the day is when we have a dip in our energy. And so that's when we reach for coffee, we reach for snacky foods, chocolate, you know, and so if you've built some stores that you can take withdrawals from early in the day, the first thing in the morning, and it also is just a way to get connected with yourself, you know, writing your feelings out, writing about your day, journaling or doing expressive writing when you're kind of jammed up or pissed off, that can help offload a lot of feelings. You know, start your day with some kind of ritual that can help you be be grounded and, you know, and, and really nourished. You know, it's not food that we're really hungry for when we're overeating. It's, it's, it's some kind of energy, some kind of sense of oneness and wellness. And we can do that first thing. We can pay into that first thing in the morning. Vital. I I don't, I mean, I have a meditation practice I've had for over 30 years. You know, I'd rather get up and go, go and go and get it. You know, I'd rather go drink coffee and eat my breakfast. But first thing in the morning, I, you know, I've built this discipline of meditating first and doing spiritual readings and boy, it just, 
puts a positive spin on my day and it gives me stores I can draw on throughout the day. So I'd say definitely that. Also take a look at your schedule. Like you're too busy. Like everybody's too busy, you know, and emotional eaters are busier than most, like maniacally busy. You know, I'm going to have a full-time job, be a, you know, be a parent and get a degree at the same time. You know, it's like, you're going to pay for that you know, recognize your limitations. I mean, you can do anything you want if you don't mind overeating, if you don't mind paying the price. But the more stress we have in our lives, the more temptation there is for stress eating, for quick energy, for sustenance, you know, for kind of getting through, you know, uh, driving. And and it's not a peaceful way to live. And then, of course, we have the self-recrimination that comes from our late night binges, you know, and feeling awful and low energy. And then we don't want to exercise. So, hey, we got to make changes, you know, and I'm like, I tell my clients, I'm like, you know, buck up, buttercup. Like you, you can't just change your eating. You can't do it in a vacuum. That's why diets are silly because they don't give you tools for living. We need to develop new tools for living. You know, if you take food away and you're on a clean eating plan, you better have another way to deal with your stress, another way to de-stress, another way to deal with your emotions. And, you know, and that's, that's just the way it's got to be. You can't do it in a vacuum. I love all of that. I love the morning routine. I think that's tremendous. Um, and you're right. Like change is really difficult. And one of my favorite phrases is when pain increases, hearing improves. Like change is really hard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, why would you, why would you be motivated to change if it didn't suck bad enough? And you know what? That's totally yeah. fine. But for most people, it comes to this point where your life really sucks. Well, you're going to have to address some things. <laughs> the, yeah. the pucker up buttercup. I, I'm going to steal that one too. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. And just for the listener, uh, you know, Trisha mentioned journaling and I had resisted journaling for a very, very long time. I just had recently started putting some words down on paper and I cannot believe how, um, how amazing journaling is for helping you realize emotions that you may not have even recognized. I've said this before, like I'll be writing something and it's almost like the pen is coming up with words that I didn't think out before. It's, it's, it's really strange, but it's been a wonderful tool. Is that something you do everything every single day? Um, I would say at this point, I don't for years, I did do it every single day. I do it when I'm jammed up, you know, especially when I'm pissed off about something, you know, cause that's a danger zone for me when I'm angry. Um, you know, if somebody, if I feel hurt by something or something's really heavy for me, I'm upset about something, I go right to pen to paper or fingers to the keyboard. You know, I pull up a word document and I just bang it out and boy, oh boy, offloading that toxic, you know, load of emotions is so healthy because it's, you know, you either deal with it or it deals with you, you know? And so I, I, I find that incredibly helpful. So I'd say maybe, every other day or so I'm, I'm writing, I'm not getting angry every other day, but, <laughs> I just but, I just, <laughs> but there's always something that just helps me to offload those emotions, you know, sadness, you know, um, just, just feeling down anything. Yeah. I love that. There's a story of Abraham Lincoln when I believe it was general Meade didn't take advantage of the Confederates losing at um, Gettysburg. And he could have like annihilated general Lee. And he wrote this like steaming letter to general Meade and ended up never sending it. So he, mm -hmm. he didn't offend him, but he still got his words out on paper, which I thought was a, a great example of, you know, just put those words out there. If they're difficult emotions, that's fine. It's much better on a piece of paper than it is said in, in a you know minute of frustration that ruins a relationship forever, you know? No question about it. Wow. No question. Do you practice, story. you've already mentioned meditation. Do you practice breathing and breath work as well with your clients? 
Um, yeah, I, I have had people on my podcast and people in some of my retreats that do breath work. I don't teach it personally. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a great tool for people who have more anxiety, you know, and, uh, want to have a way to really self-soothe that isn't reaching for food. I find breath work to be super helpful. That's great. When it is time for us to eat, do you place any value on the different macronutrients or, or certain foods? Is there some type of hierarchy that, that you, you know, try to get people on if it's not one particular diet? What are some things that people should be thinking about when they're thinking, okay, what, what am I going to make out of my diet? Should I have, you know, 100 grams of carbs or 300 grams of carbs, or I should always eat potatoes or rice or what, what kinds of principles should people be thinking about when they are eating food? My experience is the heavier the food, um, the more likely I am to be numbing, you know, and so I, I find that emotional eaters consider vegetables, you know, if they're not very, you know, they haven't done a lot of work around nutrition or read a lot of books, you know, they think of a vegetable as peas or corn or potatoes, you know, and so, um, and so, I have to tell people, hey, the, you know, the more green your food, the more leafy and green your food, the closer to the earth your food is, um, not only are the easier that you're going to time, you're going to have losing weight, um, but you're going to feel more feelings and you'll be able to, you know, again, what, what you uh, feel you can heal. So, um, you know, but my experience is carbs are tricky for us and they do metabolize as sugar in our bodies. And so we have to be careful about grains, you know, grains, flours, and those kinds of things, um, starchy foods, potatoes, um, white potatoes, especially those things, you know, we're drawn to because they naturally anesthetize our feelings, you know? And so I try to just recommend to people eat greener food, you know, fewer carbs. So the paleo plan work has worked for me for years. Um, and so unless somebody's like a, you know, high intensity athlete where they need more carbs, but you know, if someone who wants to lose weight to me, cut out the carbs, you know, cut out the carbs and the sugar and, um, you know, make everything as clean and close to the ground or, or from, you know, where it, its original source is, and you're going to have a much easier time losing weight, but you better have a plan for addressing those emotions that are going to come up. Yeah. I love that. I, it's, it's such a question of kind of supply. Like as we evolved, like we might find sugar out on the landscape, like sometimes, or maybe seasonally and, and sugar rewards us. There's no like upper limit. It always tastes good. And more is always better than less. And so it's really just a question of supply that it's just everywhere all the time that we can find it, um, versus, you know, having it just a, a one portion of the year. So I think that's a, a really great thing to be thinking about. And, and what other ways can people deal with, um, their emotions around eating? You give a few good suggestions in your book. If you don't mind talking about some of those? Yeah. Um, I call them six self-care success secrets. And these things are, again, things you can do in the morning to create the kind of a, a ritual of self-care, but writing, as we talked about reading spiritual literature, meditation, talking, like picking up the phone and talking to a friend, um, walking is really not, not like power walking, just walking and being close to nature. I like to walk and pray. Um, those are all things and prayer, you know, these are things that can help calm us down, help us feel a better sense of well-being where we're not so anxious or worried. Um, they can calm our racing mind. Emotional eaters tend to not only be overeaters, but overthinkers. And so we have to do something to quiet our minds. Like we just, our minds will scare us. 
you know, they'll scare us, awfulize about everything. And so we have to be addressing that in order to have success around food. So those are really, really important as well. Sleep, of course, drinking water, those is, those help too. That's great. In your book, you also have the acronym uh, PEP, P-E-P. Can you tell us about that? Yes. So, you know, for anybody who's like, you know, I just like food. I don't know what this gal's talking about. I just like food. <laughs> so first of all, take the emotional eating quiz on my website, find out where you are on the spectrum, but to help you start to realize that your emotions might be a little more closely linked to your cravings than you think. Um, I recommend that you, uh, take the PEP test. So PEP is an acronym P E P. The first P stands for painkiller. And what I mean by this, we've talked a lot about it is we use food to kill pain, emotional pain, you know, a job that doesn't fit us, a relationship that's on a, a rocky footing, um, a kid that's dysregulated, a parent that's sick, you know, pandemic. I mean, there's lots of ways to be in emotional pain these days. Um, and so we tend to reach for food when we're feeling strong feelings of pain, you know, and upset and, you know, just discouragement, whatever. So watch for that. So when you have a craving like, oh, I think I need to go get something to eat, dig into it a little bit. Am I feeling some pain in some way? Um, the E stands for escape. We use food as a form of escape. Like we kind of want to check out. And when we're super responsible and we, um, you know, are doing good job in our life and our family and all that, and we're tired and we're overwhelmed. And maybe we have that racing mind that's giving us scary ideas about how bad things are. Um, we want to check out. And I used to get my favorite binge foods, sit in front of my favorite bingeable TV shows and go to town, you know? So that's a typical thing as well as wanting to escape our heads. Um, and the last piece, is uh, punishment, which seems counterintuitive because yummy foods tend to be a reward, but I was hardly rewarding myself when I go overboard and end up feeling sick. So it's really, really important to realize that, um, you know, we have, we, we tend to beat ourselves up and be really hard on ourselves and this can drive our eating as well, you know? And so this is something to look for. So again, to sum it up, PEP stands for painkiller escape and punishment. And these are some unconscious ways that we might be feeling cravings. Mm, I love that. That's so easy to remember. Uh, such an easy thing to go back to. We were talking offline a little bit about your podcast. Um, everybody in 2020 started a podcast, including us. <laughs> and we have a we have a second podcast that's all about podcasting itself. Um, and so I just have to ask, podcasting, you are an OG. You have been doing this. You told me for five years, you've got over 300 um, episodes. It's very highly rated, lots of high ratings on on Apple. What things have you learned from podcasting over the years? Oh, wow. Um, oh, my, I've learned don't make hard work of it. You know, mm. I am not a, I'm not a perfectionist. So my podcast isn't perfect. I barely take any ums or goofs out of it. Um, I just let her rip. I, and I, and I do a lot of riffing on my podcast. So I just talk from, I speak from the heart when there's something that strikes me in my life, I'm an emotional eater. And so I've got lessons from my own life that I share in my podcast. I do interview, um, health experts as well, mental health experts as well. And I like those shows too. Um, but I just, 
you know, it's from the heart to me, it makes the biggest difference. And I think that's what people want. They want real, you know, they don't want polished, they want real. And so I just come from the heart. I share from my personal experience, you know, and I'm sure I could do a lot better. I'm sure it could be better. I'm sure my sound could be better. You know, my ratings could be better, everything, but I don't get twisted up about it. I do it as a labor of love. I I do enjoy it. It does enable people to kind of spy on me, you know, so (laughs) You know, if they want to kind of check me out and check my workout, but they're not ready to say, yes, I need your help. Um, they can listen for a little while. And I, and I think that's really awesome. And some, some of them, they just listen and get support and they never contact me. Um, but I do love doing it. I'm so glad I started my podcast and it's just a way of expressing myself and my passion, you know, and for those who energetically align with, with that message, um, you know, they come aboard. It's just, it's a cool thing. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I, I, I just have to say like for me listening to your podcast, it does come through as very authentic and very real. And I really appreciate that. I think uh, oftentimes shows are way overproduced and overdone and, and I don't appreciate that as much. I want to get to know the person and what their message is. And I think you do such a great job and you do a great job dancing between those two formats, doing solo shows where you're just talking, which <laughs> I can tell you is really, really hard to do. It was hard for me to do, but also <laughs> doing the interview style and bringing on other experts and, and sharing other people's stories. You do a great job listening and letting them tell their stories. So I just have to say your podcast is great. And I recommend to the listener, go over and make sure that you listen and subscribe and do what I did and give it a five-star review and rating and review. Like it's, it's really helpful and we really appreciate your show. This well, has been thank you. absolutely. You're very welcome. Uh, very deserving. This has been an amazing conversation. I've really enjoyed talking about this. Like I said in the beginning, I think this is so much more important than people realize. I think people are so often on islands and they think that they are the ones that are broken and something is wrong with them. And everybody almost ubiquitously has some degree of that and, and feeling like they're broken and we can all do a better job of, you know, getting together and sharing our message. What is one simple tip that you would like to leave for the listener that they can take and apply in their lives from this conversation? Um, I would say write down on a little sticky note and put it on your mirror or your refrigerator and, and have it say, it's not about the food. Well, this Trisha, this has been an amazing conversation. Like I said, where can people go one more time to find you and connect with you and your work? Um, healyourhunger.com H E A L healyourhunger.com. Awesome. We will link to that in the show notes. Trisha Nelson, author of Heal Your Hunger, Seven Simple Steps to End Emotional Eating Now. Thank you so very much for your personal journey and for your willingness to go out and share it with the world. Uh, it, like I said, it's such an important message and we so appreciate you and your work and for the time that you took to be on our show today. So thank you very, very much. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Casey. It's been really fun. It's been a lot of fun. And this has been another episode of Boundless Body Radio. So thank you again so very much for listening to Boundless Body Radio. I can't thank you, the listener, enough. We are so grateful for you. 
This year, 2021, was amazing. We got to talk to so many amazing people around the world and got to learn so much from them. And we actually just passed 80,000 downloads worldwide, which I just, when I started this, could not even fathom that we could reach that many people with the message. And hopefully you have gotten a lot out of this, um, as, as have we. Um, as we start the new year, we just wanted to let you know about some of the resources that we offer at Boundless Body LLC. Please go to our website, which is myboundlessbody.com. That's myboundlessbody.com. You will see an option to book a complimentary 30-minute consultation with us so that we can discuss your goals with health and fitness and maybe help you create a plan for the new year. Bethany, my wife, also offers uh, virtual Matt Pilates classes, which are absolutely amazing. They're very engaging and also very, very affordable. Those can be done live on Mondays and Fridays or also given out as a recording to do at your own convenience. We also offer training and meal planning services that are also done virtually from the safety of your own home. So if you want to avoid the busyness of a gym, we can help show you how to get really fantastic results at home with a very minimal amount of equipment. We've been doing it now for two years. We've gotten pretty good at it. So we are happy to show you that. Once again, that website is myboundlessbody.com. And if you are enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple. It really helps um, get this passion project out to more people. So cheers to 2022. And thank you again for listening to Boundless Body Radio.